Nothing in this podcast is intended as investment advice, and the people in this podcast may have a position in the stocks they talk about. Do not buy anything based solely on a tip or recommendation or the content of this podcast. Do your own research. Welcome, Quinton van der Berg, to the All Points West podcast. Quinton is one of South Africa's leading mining investors and entrepreneurs through his Q Global Commodities company, which is one of Africa's largest privately owned commodity logistics and investment houses, with more than 45 mines throughout sub-Saharan Africa. Quinton also has interest in media, both behind and in front of the camera, as the star of the reality TV show, The Shores. So, Quinton, I know you were in London on business last week to oversee the market debut of Neo Energy Metals, a uranium mining company that you've invested in. How did you come to be involved in this business? Carl, thank you. Yes, um, it was due to the relationship that I had formed with Jason Brewer um, on Marula. Uh, That relationship was probably about 12 months ago, just over a year actually, um, where we got to understand a little bit about what Jason was busy with. Um, and it was a very interesting space for us, what Jason has and has been developing in the background. So Marula was our first engagement. Um, it came as an investment opportunity, and we then decided to take a majority stake in Marula as they've got a very lucrative portfolio in lithium, copper, graphite, and other metals. And really, it was just to bolster the portfolio, get it to where it needs to be quickly. It's kind of like our our mandates to make sure that we're a mining house. We're not a speculated business that does prospecting. We're past that. And obviously just putting the money in the ground and getting operations going was key for us in Marula. And then a second opportunity came across was Shuka. And we did the same thing with Jason and we invested in the company. And obviously we've got some assets to reverse into that vehicle. And then Neo was our third opportunity within this year that uh, came to fruition. Um, all of these, of course, have been in development for many years, um, some of them nine, ten years in, in the making. It was really just down to uh, the nuts and bolts and getting a mining specialist company like ourselves involved and getting some money injected into the company to make sure that we can get operations going as quick as possible. So for us, it's about turning a bottom line and about making profits. We've been a private company up until now, so we haven't been dependent on the markets or, or institutional money or anything like that. We've done fairly well at growing a, a massive portfolio. Um, you know, Take that in consideration. We've developed 47 mines over my term. We have, uh, obviously, dozens of projects in the back burner that we are busy developing, but as to go into market this 2024, we have 14 metal projects and a dozen mines that's uh, in coal and energy that we are busy developing. So uranium fits perfectly within our portfolio. And obviously, it couldn't be better timing. As you know, the, the uranium market's on a way up. It's done a, a massive boost over the last month, almost 50%. So a little bit of history about this. You know that Anglo-America owned it, uh, previously drilled up to $30 million worth of drilling work, feasibilities, test work, plant work, and all of that still sits there today. So it's really a plug-and-play opportunity and to get into the uranium market as quick as possible. So we're looking to really get the operations going within 2024, I'd probably say third to fourth quarter. We're just going to do a double-check, triple-check on feasibilities on the qualities, which we do believe is rock-solid. 
as a mining house, we always take precautions and make sure that everything is 100% before we put machines and equipment into the ground. As you mentioned there, you know, Anglo put a lot into this business. Um, why did they walk away from it? And what was it about Neo that convinced you to put your money where your mouth is, as, as it were? <laughs> yes. So at the time, I think it was quite an interesting, you know, I wasn't around for that, unfortunately, in the mining game. But as far as I understand history, the market of uranium had tanked. Uh, obviously, the price wasn't feasible for Anglo to continue. And, you know, I understand Anglo does large-scale mining. So does Rio. Yeah. So does all of the majors in the world. So scalability for them was definitely to launch a very big uranium project here. You know, the strike rates of what we hit was 5 million uh, tons of, of uranium, but we we have a lot more. So probably four to five times that amount's going to be declared. And within that is building the story in 2024 of a very big resource with infrastructure and able to go to market within 12 months. So that's going to really bolster this project and it's going to bolster evaluations. Obviously, we know that it's nowhere close to where the valuation needs to be. And that's the exciting part for us. And that's why we got involved. We saw the opportunity at where we could enter and where the market's going to go with it and specifically where we're going to go with it. And I think that's why Jason chose us. You know, he understands how quickly we action and how quickly we get things going. And I think the markets are already there. So the story just matched at the time, I suppose, when it was uh, brought to our attention. And it was a very easy call for us to make due to the market price of how we entered this project. You mentioned your involvement with Marilla. When did you jump on board with that? So <laughs> also an amazing story because we were pitched Marula. Obviously, it's a penny share at the moment at about two and a half pence. And when I saw the portfolio of what Jason was sitting on, unfortunately, Although he knew he was sitting on very lucrative lithium deposits and copper deposits and graphite deposits, it needed a fulfillment of uh, a budget and amount of money that we've injected over this last year to get it to measured and to get it to operational. And since we got involved, the share jumped to 15 pence. It came back down to 10, but also taking consideration, you know, liquidity on where it is sitting right now. And I think that we're probably going to be going to the main aim in probably the end of January. And the reason why I've requested that it be pushed to end of January is I want the evaluations to be a true reflection of what those projects, or specifically the lithium project alone, is worth. You know, we're talking about massive, massive cash flows within 2024. We start mining in December. Uh, machinery equipment's already on site. Plants have already been ordered and they're actioning over December. And so by the time we go to market in the January, we would be in a fully-fledged mine with operations, with products, and with a marketing agreement that we are busy negotiating as we speak for a, a life of mine offtake over the whole project. And then the copper project's got a similar story. So yeah, those valuations are nowhere close to what I'm happy them being. Uh, they need to be a lot more and uh, the, the cash flows and, and the, the net profitability will talk for itself in January. So you're a pretty seasoned investor now in, in the mining sector. When you're looking at a new investment, what is it that you want to see before deciding to part with your cash? Do you have a tried and trusted process? And how much advice do you take from your team? So my team is everything. We're um, 
you know, very close from a technical standpoint. I started as a technical person in the in the field, uh, learning how cores work and drilling works and how to you know, develop a project from scratch. That's where the 47 projects came from, is that I developed many projects in my career and I either offloaded them, sold them, listed them at various stages, and they all did very well. So there is a fixed template. Uh, we like low-hanging fruits. Uh, we only have easy, extractable products. I don't chase complex projects. I don't chase projects that won't go to market. And I definitely don't chase projects that are um, high capital to get started. So that to me is like the main criteria we look for. We normally run a dozen mines at a time, uh, normally as smaller operations than the majors who run big projects, but there's nothing different between small and large projects, the same processes, environmental, safety, security, everything goes into a project. So for us, you can give us a 100 million ton project to mine or a 5 million ton project to mine. It's the same workload that goes into each project. And we copy and paste the, the formula that's worked for us over the last 22 years. We run a very technological company when it comes to analytics and controlling stockpiles and controlling where the stock goes and product and road logistics. So we've got those systems. I had a tech company that developed this technology over several years. So we're one of the very unique companies that can run our entire business remotely and on site. So we run dual systems, um, security systems, uh, quality analysis. We have very good shipments that go out. Uh, very rarely do we have any failed shipments just because of our technological um, sort of setting into, into commodities. So it's exciting space for us. Um, so that's us in the mining space. And, uh, you know, as I said, I only chase low hanging fruits, good opportunities for high yielding profits. And that's like what we're chasing with Marula, Shuka and Neo is that, of course, as a private company, we want to get into profits as quick as possible. I'm not trying to raise money off the stock exchange. That was never the purpose of us buying. We just bought a, a very large equity to get mining and to get profitable. And that's really what we're chasing as a group. So anyone that's going to get involved is going to tag along with that success. Now, you got involved in business at a very young age. So between 95 and 99, you were based in South Africa, where you headed up the marketing division for Lesmin, a holding company for several businesses in the industrial sector. And you eventually became a shareholder in the company. You then went on to become MD of a telecom company, distributing car phones in London. And then six months later, I think you were just 22 at this point, you merged two telecom companies and formed the marketing division of Vodatel International, which was a supplier and distributor of telecom services and devices. And you then subsequently went on to own Vodatel and you managed Vodatel International for five years, grew the company to trade in more than 12 countries. I mean, that's a whirlwind experience, pretty impressive for a young man in his early 20s. Was Vodatella the thing that made you in the business world, do you think? And, and talk to us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, I mean, listen, I come from an entrepreneurial family where we had to work for everything we got. So I respect money and, and all the aspects around it and, and people. And I think that's the discipline that I've carried through my career is people are everything. Relationships are everything. And I think that going to London as a South African, I think we've got a, just a, a different outlook on our work ethic of, of you know, applying ourselves to, you know, if it's not going to happen, no one's going to be bailing us out and we definitely don't have anywhere to turn. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I pulled long hours to get to that position. Um, great relationships I formed over that time. And uh, it, it's, it was important for me, that milestone, because it was either make it or break it. 
in a very complex environment for me, coming from South Africa into the UK. Um, the money obviously made there was reinvested into mining operations at the age of 26. And that's where I discovered prospecting and developing of projects and mining projects within Africa and focused a lot of my attention there. I've been keeping a lot of projects from those days in my back closets and developing them slowly. I've never really revealed all my cards as to the extent of how big our portfolio is and also how many projects we've got in various sectors. You know, we've got a great investment team and I've been a small investment company from that age. So from the time that we started making money, I started investing in, in sideline projects and, and projects around the world. And I think that's the hit and miss of a serial entrepreneur is that you will always find a hiccup and you're always going to find something that didn't match up on a pitch and you can only go according to what you hear and a gut feel and I think it teaches you over a period of time what to trust and what not to and do a lot of due diligence and do triple checks when people tell you something is good specifically when it's too good you need to be concerned um, and you know that's why you got your returns and stuff people are like wait a minute you got like a 50% return yeah, it's, it's impossible with mining it's not impossible because you can take something from grassroots literally and you can make uh, a thousand percent return off that within 24 months just purely because you are proving up a commodity that's got a valuation and you're picking it up for pennies on the pounds so mm-hmm. that's kind of like where we come in we add a lot of value uh, we understand the value on the ground and kind of where we take in the projects is is what i'm very excited about because a lot of work's gone into it, a lot of DD's gone into it. So we understand these projects intricately already before we can actually declare chalk statements, which are bankable documents, right? And that's kind of like where we're taking them. All the projects that we're involved in, now we go bankable, and then we've got to prove out the, the mining side and the marketing side, which the market is very ripe at the moment. You've got to also understand we're in probably one of the most bullish metal markets in the world, and it will be there for the next five to eight years. Solid, as far as I can understand. I don't have a glass view past that, but... A lot of um, attention is going to this green energy at the moment and what everyone has is a, a quota to meet by 2030. So we're right in the middle of that and it's a very exciting space to be in. Yeah. I mean, you've clearly you've been doing this for a while now and so you've got a lot of accumulated knowledge now. But back in those early days when you were just forging your way and your reputation, were you guided or mentored by anyone at that point? Um, no, to be honest, um, I wasn't. I had to learn the hard way. I call it the hard school of knocks in entrepreneur world. You can't learn it in a university or a degree. Um, no one tells you about what's around the next corner and, and the hardships that will come out of it. I've hit the highs, I've hit the lows, I've hit the highs and lows at an early age, thank God. You know, so I've learned a lot at a very early age and, and that's due to what I, I, I exposed myself to as a young man. And through those faults, I won't repeat them, right? So you, you know, I'm at a time in my career where a lot of people start getting that success and then they don't realize there's a lot of people trying to bring you down or a lot of uh, mistakes that could happen. So I kind of am very accustomed to, to what could happen. And obviously, I put my safeguards in place and protect every project that we have um, intricately. Uh, Quinton, if I could now take you back to your childhood, uh, where did you grow up? What was that like? And what did your parents do? So yeah, I was brought up in a coal coal town called Woodbank, just outside of Johannesburg in South Africa. And yeah, I come from a middle-class business family. We had uh, supermarkets and uh, telecommunications stores and various things like that. And I learned from my father, who was a great businessman in my eyes, you know, how to apply myself to many different disciplines. 
but pure things like on Saturdays and Sundays, counting 50,000 uh, rands worth of change and, and understanding how to do calculations and how to mark up stock and how to work through a weekend for your pocket money. And that's kind of like the, the schooling that my father gave me. And I'm very happy about that. You know, at the time, you're not so happy as a child. as You're kind of like, why have I got to be subjected to doing this? But it teaches you the discipline that you need later in your life and later in your career. And I think that, you know, the, the discipline is very critical. And that's thanks to my family and thanks to uh, my upbringings, of, of how I was brought up and my mother being, you know, a solid uh, businesswoman herself, she taught me a lot as well. So very happy about the town I was brought up in, uh, the discipline I was taught in that town, and then having to go to the big cities and internationally go to London. Um, you know, that was a good, good time for me. Yeah. Do you, do you have siblings? I do. I have two brothers, um, older brothers, also very similar in the business sector, also entrepreneurs running various businesses. We are not in partnership and we just, uh, yeah, we're just brothers. So, Well, I was going to ask, but you've already answered it really. Were, were there any early signs that you would become a, a businessman or an entrepreneur? But you've already answered that bit with the answer about working in your dad's shops and all that kind of thing. I found out very early in my life. In other words, as a teenager, really, I wanted to be a businessman. Like, um, you know, people called me that. And I loved the fact that I was going to be a businessman uh, at a very early age. At 17, I started my first company. So I knew immediately what I wanted to do and what I wanted to become. Uh, it was just creating the art and creating the craft to to get to where I needed to be. And, and I always say this, like, sometimes the hardest lessons are exactly what you need. And it's guiding you to where you need to be and the positive that's coming in the future. So to me, I live on that discipline. There's a couple of hardships that happened early in my career, and I say thank God for them because they redirected me into a new version of life and a new version of success. And as long as you keep persisting and being positive, that's all that's needed to push through to what you need to achieve. You mentioned hardships. What were they? Are there any in particular that you can share with us? Um, yes. Yeah, so back um, in the UK, um, things just became a little bit uh, tough for me. I diversified extensively into media, restaurants, entertainment, distribution, motor vehicle distribution. I think I just grew too quick. And that's kind of like, you know, lessons learned that cash flow is keen. You know, I struggled for about a year or two from 26 to 28 while I was developing the mines on limited cash flow. And really my hardships has always been around cash flow. You know, it's not, not down to the success of the business or what the, the business could do. Um, I really learned that, you know, start saving at an early age, and I did, you know, from a very early age, but even that saving didn't get me through to what I needed to achieve in all sectors. So I kind of honed those sectors down and got to concentrate on what I would be good at, not knowing that mining would be that at obviously 26, but uh, mm. I very, very quickly realized it was. And my forte is there, you know, on all aspects of mining and marketing and developing and developing projects and relationships is really my number one and then there's second and third tier investments that i make that i get certain people to manage and i spend very limited time on those investments but the little time i do i give as much context and and help to to developing those those businesses if i could just jump back again to childhood what were you like at school i, I can imagine that you might have been one of those kids who used to sell stuff to friends and uh, classmates yeah so I was kicked out of school three or four times for selling things to kids. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I always picked the hot commodity at the time and I was all over it. And whether that was back in the day, a funny story about Ghostbuster stickers. I remember Ghostbusters coming out and that was a book. 
And because we had concession stores and, and supermarkets, we were getting all of this free from Simba, from a chip yeah. manufacturing company. So I would produce a fully fledged book and sell them to kids. And unfortunately, my teachers weren't in favor. Some of the teachers I got to pay off, but um, I got them lunch and various things like that for, to allow me to do it. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, yeah, I was, I was um, got kicked out a few times for that. And yeah, I just yeah. loved my sports and I loved uh, doing you know business on the side and leaving school and going to work. I think that was my primary number one. Yeah. So uh, academically, not really interested or did that sort of come later on, do you think? Academically, I was not interested at all. I was not interested in getting a degree. I was not interested in learning in school. I have got a very, very good um, attention to detail. So once you tell yeah. me something, I get it, I register. don't know what that is. It's, it's partly a gift. So I learned what I learned and I, and I did fairly well in school. But yeah. I think the most important thing for me was learning outside of school. So the geology and history and things like that, I had limited interest in school. Yeah. You mentioned sport and you were interested in sport. What were you into at that time at school? Yeah, um, a lot of different sports. Um, I did quite yeah. a lot of uh, adventurous sports and dangerous sports, I suppose you can put it that way. Anything that you can get hurt, I enjoyed. Yeah. But that's <laughs> kind of like how I was brought up in a town where you have to stand up for yourself and Fight for yourself, I suppose. Good stuff. Uh, Quinton, before I wrap up, I just want to delve into another of your business interests, which is the media. How did the Shores TV show come about? This is the reality TV show that your production company was behind, but you were also in front of the camera. And then do you have any plans to do any more or have you got any more acting plans? Yeah, I think media is where my I have a lot of passion for media. I think I love creating and I love creating content. It's been since school as well. Um, I did my first show was actually a, sh a show called Sharpshooter, which is a reality photography show competition where you take different photographers from different walks of life and they compete against each other. And once that show went off successfully, I kind of saw the trend again of developing multiple shows. Uh, the Shores was a fish out of water Americans that came to South Africa and worked for a concierge brand. Uh, was one of my companies at the time that I was trying to promote. So that was a perfect catalyst to inject into it. And I wasn't supposed to be on the show, but the person we had as leading my company at that stage wasn't good for the directors and producers from the States. So we had to change it up that I would be in it. And that just progressed itself. And then we did another one. And since then, I was on Celsi, which is a big network in South Africa, business show called Hangman, where it's entrepreneurial ideas that came to fruition. So I progressed into a lot more business shows in my latter years. And yeah, I definitely have uh, a lot of interest in media, foundation work, which we're very active in. And I think a lot of my projects have taken priority in, in that side of the world. Um, and in Africa, building wells and looking after a lot of people is probably 50% of my passion. So um, putting your money where your mouth is and, and making that impact and making a difference and getting involved is key to me. So yeah. Yep. You mentioned the foundation there. Tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing. Sure. About 10 years ago, we uh, got involved with uh, Generosity Water, a global water foundation. Um, very quickly steered that through Africa. Uh, you know, they've built about 1,300 wells to date around the world. We've built uh, many wells in South Africa to date in school districts that are very dilapidated and broken down. Uh, there's no water sanitation Government hasn't stepped in to assist and help, and we found the, the right sort of timing to get involved with these schools and uplift these schools. 
And that's been a full investment from our side. We don't raise money from anyone. We do everything internally, everything that we want to do, what we tackle. So Water Projects is priority. We do a lot of activations there. And then we have activations on the food program, which up until recently, we supported 2,500 families per month. And then there's the orphanages, old age homes. There's the pay my bills, which is getting families that are in distress and families that have lost an income or lost a loved one that was bringing income into a household. Found a lot of these families were unfortunately getting pushed to the streets. So we stepped in to to create the pay my bills. And it's not a once-off, it's a life commitment that we've made to various individuals. We select 10 stories every quarter and we assist these families in getting into a better position and better job and pay off their debts, pay off their house, their cars, whatever we can do to make sure they have a much better life and give them that one boost that no one ever would. You know, it was a good story for me. And um, yeah, it gave me a, a lot of peace that we were able to help as many families as we have to date. Yeah. I mean, that's properly life-changing for those people who do get selected and it's fantastic work that you're doing with the foundation. Quinton, you've had a really interesting journey so far. Thank you for giving so much time to talk to me on the All Points West podcast and I wish you luck with it all. Thank you very much, Carl. Oh, 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 oh,